1: Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. The show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. There's an old adage about war that you've probably heard before. War is long periods of boredom. Punctuated by moments of sheer terror. We are in the quiet before the storm. On the last episode, you heard the elves rejoice that Turgen and the Gondolinians had decided to join the conflict. And so now they wait. They have a plan. Remember the anvil and the hammer? They have a plan. For how they can take on Morgoth and defeat him. But everything needs to go to plan. And so they wait. And in this period of time, Morgoth, as we have found out, has spies. We're told later in this story that the greatest weapon Morgoth uses against the forces of the Free People's is not dragons. It is not Balrogs. It is not his own sheer terror and power itself. It is distrust. It is the fear of men who are willing to betray their own to save themselves. It is spies. And among the Noldor... There are men. There are many different men. Some who are true of heart, like Hurin. And Hur. Who would fight to the very end. But way too many others who seek to save their own skin. And of course, you and I understand the irony of this, right? The idea that those men, and we're talking humans who betray everyone else in a conflict with Morgoth are ultimately dooming themselves. They're not going to have a better life. In fact, they will probably have a very short and miserable life, but they would rather have that than stand up against the terror of Morgoth's forces and the coming conflict. And so we're on the brink of the actual exploding of the the conflict part of the war. The armies have amassed. They have their plans. Morgoth has his plan. And one thing I want to address before we get into the details in this is that Tolkien is an interesting writer when it comes to war and conflict. He describes things from both a very zoomed out kind of meta perspective and then very zoomed in on the individual characters. But I, I don't know if you've noticed this, if you've read The Lord of the Rings, if you've read any of his works, the actual battles themselves are not meticulously detailed in a way that other authors do it. There is some of that, but not on the same level that authors do it. So-and-so jumps over somebody else and then shoots the other person with the bow. The the details that we see in the Lord of the Rings movies are all inserted into the events that occur. But Tolkien doesn't give us those details on a specific level unless it is important to the story and to the, the meaning and the unfolding of the character arcs and the themes. Those things come first. And so when it comes to stories like this, when it comes to the details of a battlefield, we're getting much more, and this is interesting, of a perspective of potentially a general. Somebody, and when you think about this, Tolkien served in the First World War. He lived through the Second World War. Somebody who understood the movements of troops, the intentionality, the way the conflict needed to play out on a macro scale. And that's what we're getting here. And so as somebody who is reading this it can come across kind of dense and and yet still removed at the same time and i have a feeling many of you have experienced that trying to read the silmarillion so let's get into it in a in a way that explains things in a little bit more of a natural manner or at least that's my attempt I don't remember specifically if I named this conflict, this battle. The battle's name is the Narniath Arnoidiad. It's a strange sounding title, Narniath Arnoidiad. And I I played with the um, uh, deciding whether to tell you what this means at the beginning of this episode or hold it until the end. I think I'm going to hold it until the end. Some of you are going, oh, I know, I know which battle we're in now. But just hold on to that. All of the elven forces, elves, men, dwarves, have mustered. At least we're getting Fingin's side of the story, and his forces have mustered. But he's still waiting on Maedros, and something is going on. Madros is not showing, but we do get some hope. An unexpected host from Turgon comes from Gondolin. And they start amassing with the elven forces here. And we're not given specific details. I mean, we're we're definitely given like this host was over here in the forest and these people are over here in the this other part that's west of this other thing. We get a lot of that, but it's hard to paint a picture. So simply, simply explained, you have a number of hosts that are ringed around facing the open, desolate fields in front of Thangorodrim. And some of them are hiding in the woods. Some of them are hidden behind the the hills. They are ready to issue forth, forward, in order to take on whatever orcs come across them and push directly into the fortress. That's the setting. And until Turgon's forces show up, it doesn't feel like there's going to be enough coming from the eastern side of this conflict because Maedros doesn't show up. And what Fingen doesn't know here is that Maedros has been waylaid by another force of orcs that have issued forth already. And Morgoth knows exactly what's going on. His spies have told them what the, what the plan is and he has a response to it. And the response looks meager at first. Maedros' forces just aren't showing up. He's not there. But the forces in front of Fingon, who are marching across this wasteland that they can see, is a host of orcs. Just a host of orcs. Marching up. And then they stop. They stop a distance from the trees and from the hills. Close enough in some descriptions where you can actually some of the elves can actually see their eyes. Right? Don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes. Close enough that they're, they're within bowshot from these hosts. And they are there specifically to taunt the Elven forces and their friends to come attack them. Morgoth knows if he breaks their ranks too early, their plan falls apart. And so the orcs taunt the forces, clanking their weapons and their shields together, yelling. ...out into the distance, probably saying all sorts of terrible things about their mothers, you know, that, you know, typical stuff, and uh, Fingen holds the, the forces back, and specifically Hurin calls out and says, to let them wait, let the orcs break themselves in assault upon the hills, to let them issue their charge and use the hills to their advantage. There is a height advantage in warfare. This doesn't just happen in in warfare today with things like guns. It happens, and it happened in the ancient world too, when you were dealing with melee weapons. If you are taller than your enemy, it's easier to strike them in the head. It's easier to rain down with gravity's forces down on them. Especially if you're moving large formations of men or horses, you can move more quickly downhill than you can uphill. There is an advantage to height and warfare. And Hurin knows this. He knows that their plans need to hold out. That they need to buy time for Maedros. And so he urges them all to hold back. But the captain of Morgoth, who I imagine is a very handsome orc, had a command. He had one mission here. Draw out fingen swiftly from his hills by whatever means you need and so when the orcs realize that they cannot get a reaction from these armies in front of them to come forth towards them they decide to try a different tactic this is directly from the silmarillion chapter 20 then the captain of morgoth sent out riders with tokens of parlay and they rode up before the outworks of Barad Ethel. There are some fortifications and things around here as well that some of the orcs are set in. This is another one of the reasons why they want the orcs to attack them. And if you don't understand the word parley, go watch uh, go watch the <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. They use parlay a lot in that series. Um, but parley means basically a a negotiation before the actual battle takes place. And in some cases, the parley could even stop the conflict from happening, depending on what was agreed upon, the terms of the battle. With them they brought Gelmir, son of Gulin, that lord of Nagarthrond, whom they had captured in the Bragolac, And they had blinded him. Then the heralds of Angband showed him forth, crying, "'We have many more such at home!' And you must make haste if you want to find them, for we shall deal with them all when we return, even so. And they hewed off Gelmir's hands and feet, and his head last within sight of the elves, and left him. They have more of these. Their warning is they will not only blind the prisoners, the soldiers that they previously taken captive from the previous conflict... But then they would cut off their hands and their feet and their heads. And it just so happened at this moment that Gwyndor of Nargothrond, the brother of Galmir, was watching this. It's as if somehow Morgoth knew this was exactly the right person to do this to in front of this host. And Gwyndor could not hold back. We're told that his wrath was kindled to madness and he leapt forth on horseback and many riders with him and they pursued the heralds and slew them and drove on deep into the main host. Not only did they jump out, did they break rank and take on this small host of messengers who decided to lop off his brother's head, but they were so incensed. ...that they pushed forward into the main line of orcs. Deep into the main host. And this was the moment. This is the moment that everything breaks. Everything breaks down. The orcs would have had to push against the hills... ...and against the sides of fortresses... ...but instead... Gwyndor breaks rank. And seeing this... ...and this is directly from the text... ...all the host of the Noldor was set on fire... ...and Fingon put on his white helm... And sounded his trumpets, and all the host of Hithlam leapt forth from the hills in sudden onslaught. The light of the drawing of the swords of the Noldor was like a fire in a field of reeds, and so fell and swift was their onset that almost the designs of Morgoth went astray. Now notice the detail here. Tolkien talks about putting on a white helmet and the fact that they are all incensed, and they're set on fire. And then the descriptions we get are analogies. It's like poetry rather than specific details. The Noldor was like a fire in a field of reeds. That was that's the the drawing of their swords. Can you imagine this? White armor, the shining of these swords, the beautiful host of men and elves and horses running toward this Terrible, terrible group of orcs. And to say that this initial onslaught was effective would be understating it. These elves and these men had suffered so much under Morgoth that they were ready to take the fight. They were too ready. They killed this group of orcs almost to a, well, to a man, well, to an orc, not really a man and then pushed all the way past the front gates. It says in the text, And now they could not be restrained, and they burst through the gate and slew the guards upon the very stairs of Angband. Remember the places that Baron and Luthian had been? They are now there. And Morgoth trembled upon his deep throne, hearing them beat upon his doors. But his plan had worked. That initial group of orcs were just... I don't know. You could say they were like the cheese on the mouse trap because this was a trap. Morgoth had them exactly where he wanted them. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes.
0: Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind.
1: All right, welcome to the middle of the show, patrons. You guys are amazing as always and all of the listeners. Just thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of this, for enjoying the content, for loving J.R.R. Tolkien's work. Work? Did I say wor- world and work? I moved them into the same word, work. Uh, I don't think that's going to stick. Um <laughs> all right. Well, now it's our chance to welcome our new patrons. So, Let's start with Caleb H. I don't remember if I called you out last time, but you were right on the date. Sometimes they come right in after I'm done recording. Right on the date I was recording last time. Luke T. Craig S. Luke D.J. We'll just say D.J. Alexis C. Adam B. Jesse P. Magnus S. Where was Gondor when the Zygons attacked? Putter C. Tyler M. Edgewick. Sean B. Scott G. And uh, Elizabeth M. Thank you so much to all of you for your support. Wow! Welcome, welcome to the party. You guys are here. We have 144 patrons right now. Holy moly! You guys are amazing. I didn't expect this at all. You guys, you guys are the best. And we have a whole bunch of VIP patrons to shout out: Brad C., Brandy D., Chris D., Esoteric Rage, Jesse P., Larry, Obi Wan Kenobi, Sean B., and uh, Shannon L. and Sheev Palpatine. We've got... I think it's so, so funny. Are you... Arshiv, are you and Obi friends? Enemies? How does this work? Um, thank you to everybody for your support. You guys are amazing. We also have some new reviews to read out this week. Oh, and by the way, if you're interested in checking out the Patreon, patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast, you get ad-free episodes at the base tier. and the second tier, you get all the bonus episodes. There are a lot at this point. Lots of extra content. If you're looking for it, right over there. Uh, plus... It, it really does help me out. This is this is my career, and you guys loving this and being able to support it helps me keep doing it. So thank you very much. All right, let's read out some of the new reviews that came in. And these get mixed up. So if I missed your review, shoot me a note and be like, hey, I left a review. Here it is again. You missed it. The The, the app that I use doesn't put them. It puts them in chronological order, but it notifies me in a weird like out-of-order sense because it pulls in the data from other Apple Regions and sometimes that those regions just aren't ready right away. It seems I don't know but let me know. If I missed it, I'll, I'll read it out again. Here, let's start with what I think I didn't read last time. This one's from Richard M. Langus in Canada, who says, Just starting, absolutely love it. I just finished episode four. It goes at the perfect speed, but also in depth, just the right amount. Lots of great reflections on what the things mean in this immense, immense universe. Can't wait to start the next episode. Richard, thank you very much. Um, thanks. That's good to know that I'm creating content that that is laid out in a way that you guys really enjoy. Then we have Coop in the United States who writes great podcast. This show is so good. Amazing job at describing the detail of the story and keeping track of all the Silmarillion characters that I couldn't Uh, crying happy face. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. It's tough, isn't it? Thank you, Coop. Then we have Mastodon 635 in the U S who writes easy to understand and absolutely interesting robots does an excellent job making the lore of middle earth and events of the Silmarillion and everything Tolkien easy, To follow and understand. As someone who has read The Silmarillion twice, I know how hard it is remembering everything. I continue to be surprised by Tolkien's work and Robot's point of view on aspects of Tolkien I've never considered before. Robot's passion for the stories and the depth of the tales shines through and makes for incredibly intriguing listening. Even if you've read The Silmarillion, listen to this podcast. You're still going to learn something new. Mastodon, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're enjoying it, even though you've read The Silmarillion a few times. Then we have Yogi Bear 93 from Great Britain who writes, wonderful. I can't do a yogi voice or I would do this. Uh, i not even going to attempt. By far the best podcast about LOTR around. I love how you break down the lore and present it in an easy and understanding way. I have always found the lore hard to understand. Thank you. Please keep up the great work. we Will do, Yogi Bear. And then we have, final one, Mad Scientist Sound Labs from the U.S. who writes, top tier this podcast has opened a world I loved but couldn't get my head around. Like many, I've struggled to track through when reading The Silmarillion. I've read it several times as well as additional works by JRRT, and I've scraped together a limited understanding of the world surrounding The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy. But this podcast has really illuminated and made accessible The Silmarillion and the life and lore of all that surrounds and leads up to the story so many of us love. A whole new experience awaits for those who who choose to dive into this and dig deep into these extended works. I strongly recommend jumping on the Patreon feed. The additional episodes are excellent and well worth your time and small subscription fee. Mad Scientist Sound Labs, thank you so very much for that. I'm so glad you're also enjoying the patron stuff those are also fun to do and kind of a very different kind of thing I I, I feel loose and I feel like I'm just sitting chatting with friends when I'm, when I'm talking with you guys about that stuff it's a little bit less presentational and more uh, topical and contemplative usually at least that's the tone change for it if anybody's curious but thank you to all of you guys you guys are amazing I couldn't do this without you let's move on with the rest of this battle because well you'll see The host of Fingon busts through the gates. They slay the guards. They've destroyed the majority of the orcs who are out in the field. And they are now sitting at the walls of Thangorodrim. This is not a prepared assault. This is not a siege where they have set up a perimeter. This is them pushing so far forward that they are now on Morgoth's doorstep. And we are told... Quote, by many secret doors in Thangorodrim, Morgoth had let issue forth his main host that he held in waiting. And Fingon was beaten back with great loss from the walls. He had them right where he wanted them and in a way kind of did what the elves were going to try to do to him. Draw out his forces, hit them with a hammer and an anvil. And instead, he drew in the elven and the mannish forces, and then issued forth from these hidden secret doors all around them on all sides, his forces pushing them back from the walls. What happens next is a chaotic mess. And again, I think this is where Tolkien draws inspiration from his own, his own experience of war and the chaos of it in a situation where your side is being routed and you turn that is the most dangerous position to be in as a military force the majority of the deaths don't necessarily occur when two forces are facing each other head on but when one of them turns to flee it is a military tactic to break the enemy's morale this happens in many different ways showing up with a larger force, taunting them, doing things that work on a psychological level. And Morgoth understood this. Fingon's forces retreat over the sands. And Haldir, lord of the Haladin, was slain in the rearguard. With him fell most of the men of Brethel and came never back to their woods. This is a massacre. And this goes on for at least a day. These forces are fighting for their own survival, surrounded by orcs. More orcs than they've probably ever seen before. And then we're told, on the fifth day, as night fell, and I believe this is five days since the beginning of the mustering of the forces, uh, once everybody arrived at the location, not the fifth day since uh, swords were drawn. Not it's it's not it hasn't been five days. I believe this has been one day of intense fighting and trying to survive on the side of the the elves and the men. On the fifth day, as night fell, and they were still far from Arid Withrin, the the line of mountains in the distance, the orcs surrounded the host of Hithlum. And they fought until day. They fought all night long. After an entire day of battle, the orcs kept pressing them. But they aren't beyond hope yet. When the morning came, when the horns of Turgan were heard as he marched up with the main host of Gondolin, for they had been stationed southward guarding the Pass of Syrian, and Turgan restrained most of his people from the rash onslaught. Now he hastened to the aid of his brother, and the Gondolandrim were strong and clad in mail, and their ranks shone like a river of steel in the sun. Now a phalanx of the guard of the king broke through the ranks of the orcs, and Turgon hewed his way to the side of his brother, and is told that the meeting of Turgon and Hurin, who stood beside Fingon, was glad in the midst of battle. This is one of the few times where we get one of those, like, movie moments, Right? Turgon, with his forces, which have been held in reserve, which he was smart enough not to push forward with Fingon's group, show up in order to save Fingon and Hurin. And Turgon and Hurin have a kind of a a glad meeting in the midst of this chaos. Then hope was renewed in the hearts of the elves. And in that very time, at this third hour of morning, 3 a.m. in the morning, still dark out. The trumpets of Madros were heard at last coming up from the east. And the banners of the sons of Feanor assailed the enemy in the rear. Finally, finally, the hammer shows up. The anvil has been fighting. The hammer shows up and Turgon's forces to reinforce them on the battlefield. It seems like the tide is turning after a, what must have been the longest day in many of these elves and men's lives. The tide is finally turning. But there's a reason why this is called the Narniath Arnoidiad, The Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Because there are a few things that haven't happened yet. Morgoth sent forth a massive group of orcs. An army so large that Many of these individuals had never seen something like this, even if they had fought in the previous conflicts. But that's not all he held in reserve. Upon Maedros finally making it to the battle, having hewn his way through the other group of orcs, Morgoth decides to pull in the real might of his army. It says in the text, Morgoth loosed His last strength. And Angband was emptied. There came wolves and wolf riders. And there came balrogs. And dragons. And Glarung, father of dragons. We have everything else at his disposal. The stronger forces. The things much more dangerous than just orcs. The strength and terror of the great worm were now great indeed. Remember the last time we saw Glaurung? It's been a while. He came out too soon. He wasn't done cooking yet, but now he was ready. And elves and men withered before him, and he came between the hosts of Medros and Fingon and swept them apart. He divided by himself the hammer from the anvil. It goes on and says yet neither by wolf nor by Balrog nor by dragon could Morgoth have achieved his end, but for the treachery of men. In this hour the plots of Olfeng were revealed many of the Easterlings turned and fled their hearts being filled with lies and fear. But the sons of old went over suddenly to Morgoth and drove in upon the rear of the sons of Fandor. And in the confusion that they wrought, they came near to the standard of Maedros. And I just realized I've been doing it again. Pronunciation is rough. Maedros. It's a DH. I talked about this on the last episode and yet I forgot Maedros by the standard of Maedros. So, We also talked about this at the beginning of this episode. We're told here that the elves and the men and the dwarves now in Maedhros's host had a chance still, even with the wolves and the Balrogs and the dragons. They still had a chance to win this. They could have fought back. This could have gone either way. But it was the betrayal of the evil men the people who were swayed by fear and lies that destroyed the hope of that day. And on top of that, we're also told, quote, They reaped not the reward that Morgoth promised them, for Maglor slew Uldor the Accursed, the leader in treason, and the sons of Bor slew Olfast and Ulwarth, ere they themselves were slain. But new strength of evil men came up that Oldor had summoned and kept hidden in the eastern hills. And the host of Maedhros was assailed now on three sides, and it broke and was scattered and fled this way and that. Yet fate saved the sons of Feanor, for though all were wounded, none were slain. For they drew together and gathering a remnant of the Noldor and the Nagrim about them, the the dwarves. They hewed a way out of the battle and escaped far away towards Mountain domed in the east. And although the episode today is drawing to a close, this conflict isn't yet done. There are some great deeds yet to be discussed by the dwarves. So hold on to that. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, The Elder Scrolls Lorecast, The Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots radio, or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes, or just search Robots Radio Discord, or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time.